now tuned into anything potable. The most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital. Like Antoine when he sent me that shot went through. So send me why. Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen. And we are also joined by a very special guest. You have heard him all over the Athletic Podcast Network, the host of Nerder, she wrote. That's right, Mr. Dave Dufour. Jumping into co-host and also po- uh, produce this podcast, Dave. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I I also just shoehorned myself in here since I was producing. I was like, oh, I'll I'll just jump on, hop on the Zoom, and then Jay was like, "Have you been watching?" Well, we, <laughs> like, we did have like, a request. Like I have to a have choice. you talk. We did have a request to have you talk, Derek White. Like, yeah, this, this was like a formal ago. request on the interwebs. It's true. Uh, so it's about time we're we're doing the Dave DeFore Derek White conversation also it's part of like it's gotten to the point of the season where like the dynamic between me and jay is like jay's gonna be an alarmist member of the mainstream media and just say the sky is falling with the celtics and i'm gonna be the irrational celtics optimist and just being like oh it doesn't really matter that they just lost to the houston rockets and so we need a fresh perspective in there am i really a sky is falling guy (laughs) i mean you're part of the mainstream media always asking about jason tatum's minutes you know always trying to get under coach joe missoula's skin it just feels like you're you know that's kind of what that's trying to tear this team down yeah when <laughs> i'm trying to build them up do you feel like that's your job jam i don't really have a job i'm just i was thinking about it after the the rockets loss which i'm gonna be objective here you shouldn't be losing to the houston rockets no it's a bad loss and absolutely just not a good thing for the basketball team to be doing but I was just like thinking about logging onto Twitter after that game. And I'm just like, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with all the upset fans right now. And so I don't know if I need necessarily see my role as to be building people up. I'm just trying to actively avoid the cycle of negativity that seems Look, to surround the team after every loss. They should absolutely get hammered for losing to the Rockets. Jokic got hammered for losing to the Spurs in a game where he had a 30 point triple double or whatever. And uh, if that, if if the Celtics can't get hammered for getting beat by what I think is a worse team, they're, the they're, look, they're tanking because they're, they're so bad. bad the Spurs have done a lot of maneuvering to aid their tank and they've been masterful at it. Uh, but the Rockets are just straight up bad. That's a bad, bad, bad loss. And it's March. I understand that it's hard to get up for these games sometimes. Championship teams usually do. Well, that's the big question. Is like, and that's the part where I don't that gets me frustrated. Is like they should absolutely beat the Houston Rockets in this game. Does the fact that they lost to the Houston Rockets now mean that there's like, well, now the season is over. This team, this team's no. done. That, but that's the kind of like fatalistic talk on Twitter that makes me extremely look i know jay wrote the article that just said that you know the houston rockets loss really means the season's over but exactly you know know typical they're gonna fall apart without damon stoudemire because he was really the glue holding everything together i believe i I read that i I will say this i'll say this it's tough they've lost three coaches that's a lot that's a huge loss for for one year uh, for your brain trust there and and three really good coaches right like, 
Will Hardy yeah. is kicking ass in Utah. Ime Odoka kicked ass in Boston last year. Mm-hmm. And Damon Stoudemire was the only guy with significant NBA experience on the Celtics coaching staff, which I think matters. And having that perspective, especially for Joe Mazzulla, who's a 34-year-old rookie head coach about to enter his first playoffs, losing that matters. And and I don't think it, it spells the end of the world. Like they'll be they'll be okay but but that is a perspective that that you can't fill with people who haven't been there before and the Celtics coaching staff is now super 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 young like Tony Dobbins is 41 he's the oldest one on staff Missoula is the youngest head coach in the league DJ McClay is 28 um I've never ben even heard Sullivan of DJ is, McClay Ben Sullivan is 38 Aaron Miles is 39 like they're just super young and all filling roles that they haven't filled in the past. We don't know yet who's going to step into Damon Stoudemire's t- top assistant role, but that's a pretty big deal with less than a month left in the regular season. I got to say, I'm super impressed that you just off the top of your head knew all these guys' ages. I don't even know your na- your age, <laughs> Jay, and I talk to you multiple times a week. Like we're friends. I'm 35, baby. Are you? Okay, I, w- I would have guessed older. I have no clue how old you are, though. <laughs> You know, you know what? Nobody does. It's my my great secret in life. Uh, mysterious I, days before. Yeah, that's right. Um, I, look, the the coaching stuff. Here's the thing. I, I think coaching is both overrated and underrated. Right? It's overrated when we want it to be. When things are going well, I think we tend to overrate coaching, and when things are going poorly, I think we tend to underrate it. And right now, this is this isn't a coaching issue for them. You know, this little we're going to call it a malaise. Is it officially a malaise? I think it's a malaise. It's a malaise. I thought we had got out of the malaise with the win over the Hawks, but it's definitely a downturn. Yeah. Uh, Well, they've just, it's just been uninspiring basketball for the most part from them. And and the, one of their biggest problems is uh, lack of organization on offense. When the shots don't fall for them, they just don't have a system to go back to. And this is why I'm pro Derek white, because Derek white is the best offensive organizer that they've got. You think uh, so? Well, when it can two way, right? Because he can defend. I would Marcus say Malcolm Smart. You don't put him up there. Uh, I no, I don't. Not the same as Derek White. Derek White also can just run pick and roll. He's a really, really good pick and roll point guard, and they don't really have that. You know, uh, allowing Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to space out around a pick and roll been super effective. You know, and obviously. Robert Williams has been hampered this year. And if he were healthy, I think this team would just look better because their defensive ceiling would be higher than it is right now. But I I just like what Derek White brings to the offense because he at least gets them organized when things aren't going right, when the isolation stuff isn't isn't working out, when the shots aren't falling. And that's what they that's what they lack, typically. I definitely like oh, go for it. uh, No, well, you know, you you were gonna say I definitely like all of the points you just made you're a genius continue <laughs> I, I think i like the celtics lineup more when they have just like their offense when they can play al horford at center and he can like they can go five out and they have more spacing and so i like Derek white on the floor with smart the two jays and i feel like they have a more competent offense there and i like that too yeah i mean look i think that again the the rob williams thing is is all about how he feels right if he if he's a hundred or if he feels like 100% that night, he's probably in your best lineups. And if he's not, he's not. And, and because of what 
Al Horford has been able to do spacing out the floor and allowing those guys to be able to attack the basket. The, but the truth is the, the biggest problem hasn't been Marcus Smart, who I know a lot of people have pointed fingers at for defensive issues. It's been Grant Williams, right? Like Grant Williams has been the guy who kind of dropped off for them this year where you thought maybe he could pick up the slack a little bit with Robert Williams, you know, slowly coming back from injury, but he just hasn't been able to be productive. So I, I think that the conversation winds up not really being Derek White over Marcus Smart. It's Derek White and Marcus Smart over Grant Williams. Does that make sense? Yeah, and it seems like Grant is certainly on the way out of of all closing of Boston. Lineups. And, and <laughs> no, and certainly of of the rotation. Um, he's just in the doghouse, and he he deserves to be in the doghouse to to some extent, like. He's doing stuff off the bounce that is just weird. Um, but hasn't I think always it's like, seemed confident in his jumper, or seems like too confident in his jumper, and just fires him up at will. Like the, there's like some sort of he's not the same player that he was last year, right now, and and he could become that. And part of it too is I think just the defensive ecosystem. If you look at the isolation numbers all across the board they're all down compared to what they were last year. And and so it's a full team thing. And obviously Robert Williams not being around for, I think, more than half the season at this point um, is a huge deal. And he covers up a lot of mistakes. But I also think they just haven't given help at, in the same way that they did last season. They haven't been able to – like last year, no matter who was on the ball, like everybody was on the ball. Like they 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 were just on a string, and for whatever reason, they haven't reached that level all the time this year. They certainly haven't reached it since the All Star break. The last ten games, they're five and five with pretty average defensive rating, probably below average. Uh, and so they just let so teams get into the paint with ease, and it's just that's not a formula for winning basketball. And I do think a lot of the issue is like, yeah, Robert Williams is not back there playing center field. I think the question is like, I, I kind of like the offense more with the smaller lineups. I don't, I think the numbers will say the offense is still pretty good with Horford and Williams on the court, but it just doesn't look as good. But then on the flip side of that, I think we saw this in the Houston game. Like you play smaller Al Horford's their main kind of help defender. And then you just get absolutely killed on the offensive uh, offensive glass. And it's like, Yes, you just yell at Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to like box out more, but it's it's just not that simple. And then on the other end of the court, I think when they play a smaller lineup, teams have this ability to just go to switch everything. And it's just kind of like it kind of baits the Celtics into this isolation style offense that it's what they want to play. You can't say they bait they get baited into it because they this is kind of what they've done. The start of this season was some of the best offense that we've seen them run, like as far as actually sticking to you know principles in the system. But you can't say they're getting baited into it, Jam. Come on, those guys I mean, want to ISO. Yeah, but the sw a switch everything kind of defense makes it so much more likely where they can't take advantage of any four on three situations or two on the ball. It's just like, all right, we're going to let you ISO, and so. I think with Robert Williams out there, he's not like a post-up guy, but just it, it makes it a little harder to switch on everything if he's kind of that that rim protection or, or that rim vertical lob threat. And so I think it's easier to kind of just defend the Celtics 
despite all of that spacing, if you have like the personnel where you can switch everything. And, and also don't forget my favorite thing about Robert Williams. They miss his passing. Really? That, that's legit. They miss his passing. Some of the reads he makes when he does run pick and roll, some of the reads he makes from the dunker where he finds guys coming from the elbow. I mean, he, he just, he is, <laughs> that's the guy that they're missing. If Robert Williams was a hundred percent, we're not, we're not saying any, even Grant Williams probably looks better. The shots are more open. So, you know, the, the, I guess the malaise or the Paul that's been cast is, is it all Robert Williams for you guys too? There's a lot of Robert. I feel like Williams I'm, I'm now hosting it's a, the show. It's guys. a lot I'm, of Robert. I'm interviewing Williams. you guys. The, the, so here, here's the thing. Robert Williams fixes a lot of their issues. Yeah. But the issues exist with or without Robert Williams. Um, that's that's deep, and and so, some of it is just like, and I I don't have the numbers for this, but earlier in the season they were so good at getting to like the guard to guard screens where Marcus Smart and Jason Tatum were in actions together, and Tatum Smart got Tatum going to the rim, or Smart like was setting up Tatum with the right matchups and they were patient enough to get to all that stuff. And right now it doesn't seem like they are. They, uh, the, the three point attempt rate has been like, obviously the, the huge conversation with Joe Mazzula from a lot of people after the game. And I think he loves threes. He, he, he loves threes. Uh, and I think when he, goes back at people for saying they should get more layups and points out that when they miss the layups and stuff like that. I think what he means is basically like, doesn't matter whether it's a layup or a three, like let's just run good offense, make good decisions. And that would be good enough. Um, but there are times when they just like settle for off the dribble threes and, and things would look different. Look, Jason Tatum is shooting 29% on pull-up threes this year, which is really freaking bad. And and he, and he has not stopped. To, if anything, he's doubling down on it. Yeah, and, and and it would look a lot different if he was up at 36, 37, 40%. Um, I, I did the numbers one day, and if he was shooting just his career average from pull-up threes this year, he would have scored like – one and a half more points per game or something. How, how are we defining pull-up three? Is just like a non-assisted three? Like the yeah, off the, off the dribble. Off the dribble. Yeah. Um, And like three years ago, I think it was three years ago, when they still like Kemba, and Kemba was still very good, he shot like 40-something percent on pull-up threes, and now it's 29%. Um, And granted, teams play him a lot differently now, and he's he's the guy, and he has to do – a lot offensively that probably takes away his legs on some of those shots. But like those are shots that right now he's not hitting and you have to take them because they warp the defense and make them come out to you. But like, that's one of the reasons why the Celtics go through droughts is because he just hasn't made those at all. It's a win for the defense when those guys just settle for those looks. But that's, if you're gonna if you're gonna take them, you you got to make them at some point, especially at that kind of volume. Otherwise, you're you really are just playing right into the defense's hands. But I just don't understand. 
generating open threes is, is a function of good modern offense, but so is getting to the basket. If you're only getting one, it's open for a reason. And they were so hot to start the year. Like feels like maybe a little, is it like, is that hot start kind of hurting them now? Maybe mentally. Well, the hot start was like a complete aberration was just like how many threes they were making and just like made it seem like this team is like the best offense ever when it's really just like, no, so many different guys were shooting well above their percentage. But that being said, Al Horford and Malcolm Brogdon are still like two of the top three right now. But you mentioned like getting to the basket, just looking at this recent malaise other than the Knicks game, like Jason Tatum has just not been getting to the basket uh, as much or just getting fouls uh getting fouled as much uh and i think that's like another product of the i don't know just the shittier offense that we've seen out there and no like aggressiveness the, right and so it seems like to me like i don't know watching the houston rock like them play the rockets last night jason tatum is eight for 22 it feels like and this is just like complete fan overreaction casting aspersions but it feels like jason tatum just doesn't give a shit about the regular season anymore and it's just like it it does kind of feel like that both ends both ends and he said it after the game he said i i need to bring more energy um but like it took him until the third quarter to get going at all does he need someone like Ime Yudoka to call him out in the press? Something Joe Mazzulla is never going to do to like light a fire. Because you talk about like the earlier season setting expectations for the Celtics. I think at least for Celtics fans, everyone saw how they finished the season last year. It's like, well, that's how you make it to a championship. You have to win your final 20 games by an average of 20 points. And like you have to be on this like perfect roll. And so I'm, I'm not advocating like losing games to terrible teams down the stretch like certainly you feel <laughs> yeah. better about the team if they uh, like had better habits but i also think it's like weird to expect like well the Celtics are going to win every single game and like play beautiful basketball for every like i don't know that feels a little bit unrealistic but it does feel like they've gotten to a point in the regular season where it's like we feel fairly confident about our team we think we can go up against anybody it's a Monday night in Houston and like we're, we're this, they just don't have that level of intensity. And I don't know if like them not bringing the intensity on that Monday in Houston translates to like what they're going to bring on a, like a, a game four in, uh, in Milwaukee or something like that. Let, let me ask you guys this. Cause when you look at the standings, they're, they're probably locked in at two or three, right? Like, cause Milwaukee is, the best team in the league right now. For some yeah. reason, they're still the betting favorite to get the one seed because they have right. an easier schedule. But like, yeah, I would assume they get the two, two or three. Yeah. So maybe it really is just a matter of they don't respect Philly enough to care about home court. I I think that's certainly part of it. Where I just like don't think they really care about the one. Like it felt like that started the year they came out and were like, we have this hunger. We lost the finals last year. We're killing teams. We're doing everything right. And at some point post all-star break, they've just never came back with like that level of intensity until they get down by 12 points to the Knicks after already being up like 10 points. And like, until they get punched in the face, they don't, they don't like come out swinging. Tatum and Brown played in the worst game ever and then came back and the team's been broken since. <laughs> See, there's that mainstream media member trying to bring, <laughs> take down this team. <laughs> but oh, but se- seriously, and, and you can hear 
from what players are saying um, that there's starting to be some angst. And Jalen Brown has a couple of times said, like, it starts at the top. Like, Jason and I have to go out there and make sure we're all about winning and all about the team. And and that stuff kind of makes you raise your eyebrows a little bit. Like, is he taking a shot at Tatum? Is he saying Tatum's not playing with the right habits or mindset Sounds or like whatever? He's just uh, sowing division now, again, among the team's top two stars. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sowing division. These guys have been through a lot. They have stayed together through a lot. Uh, you're not going to hear me say that those two guys are not right to play with each other. Like, they're awesome together. They're incredibly um, complimentary, yeah. Yeah, and so I don't think it was like a, a long-term thing, but I do think that the Celtics right now are pissed off with the way they've been playing um, and understand that they are underperforming to a But are they that pissed large off? Because I... I feel like you talked to like we talked to Jason Tatum after every game and he says like this ultimate like Brad Stevens Kaizen where it's like you win some you lose some we'll just get the next seemed, day. Tatum just seems like that's Tatum's thing. The only time he's ever cared is after game 6 of the NBA finals. <laughs> that's, <laughs> it. that's or it seemed like he cared. Obviously he cares a lot. The guy is one of the best two-way players in basketball. Usually a defensive force has been rebounding at an awesome rate this year like he cares a lot. Uh, and that is the approach like stuff. for the but, whole organization is just like we don't get too high after a, a win and we don't get too low after a loss and it feels like maybe you should get a little bit lower after these losses here <laughs> and like maybe like bring some more energy there because it's just if you just treat a loss as like eh, we'll get them next time no big deal like you have to kind of take your failure and use that as fuel that's the uh, that's the important part of the brad stevens growth mindset where it feels like jason tatum after every loss is like yeah happen sometimes we'll get them next time and joe missoula is kind of the same way let me ask you guys a question okay so they got what 13 games left in the season is is my math right here yeah 13 games left in their season what's the right amount of wins like do they need to be 10 and 3 you think going into the playoffs to, to for you to feel like oh okay they found their footing again nine and four or something like that I just think they need to start playing the right way. And it doesn't matter how many wins they get. It's just like, know that you can rely on your habits. Now, it and matters I, if you can close out games, though, for this team. Uh, yeah, I think they it, need to close out some games. Like, I think they need that the mental reps of closing out some games. Maybe. Um, but I think more so just, like, playing the right way throughout again. I know that there's some concern in the organization about the habits they've been playing with lately and and whether they're like veering too far from their like maximized version over the last month or so which is probably true like to some extent yes the regular season doesn't matter a lot yes like if they play philadelphia in a series it will not matter that they lost to houston unless they lose home court advantage. Um, but like a lot of the times habits show up at in moments, in big moments, like your habits come back to bite you in the ass or they come back to carry you through tough stretches. So I think it's just about playing the right way so that they're feeling a little better about themselves. Cause I do think right now, like they've been a pretty relaxed team 
after losses this season, it hasn't been like they've really eaten them. Losses have really eaten them up. But but you can feel like a little angst coming through, even from Joe Mazzula, who was like, yeah, it's it's kind of concerning well, you, that you can always feel angst coming through from uh, Bazooka Joe. Um, but all season, they do, they he's do kind have of been kind like, of a soft schedule, though. They, they do have a very soft schedule. Looking it, at it now, they have three tough games. Yeah, multiple games against the Jazz, uh, games against the Raptors, and I think Jazz is second of, night of a back to back in Utah, though one of them. Well, that's the thing. It's that's like it's not game. as much of a win total for me. It's like how do they look and, playing the Kings, Sixers, and Bucks, and like right. a games in which they should bring it. Are they playing the right way? And like, do they lock in on the defensive end? Do they not like settle for isolation? Like, would I like to see them get those easy victories over the Pacers and Spurs and Wizards? Absolutely. I think that's just like helps you develop those habits. But I also like, like Jay mentioned, like the second night of a back-to-back against the Jazz, if they lose that, I don't know if that's necessarily like the end of the world, but I would like to see just like them bringing it and playing their best basketball against the the kind of top teams, uh, especially the Bucks and Sixers in the East. And I think Missoula has to figure out like how to how to maximize this team now and how to maximize them once Robert Williams returns. I think they've gotten away from knowing who they are. Like they don't know whether Grant Williams should play on any given night. They don't know which backup big to play. Last game in Houston, it was Blake Griffin in the first half, Luke Cornett in the second half. And so like they're, they're just kind of throwing darts sometimes where where they don't seem to know what's going to work best on a given night. And now for, and, that's a problem that I think for the regular season doesn't actually isn't that big of a deal because those guys aren't playing in the playoffs, right? Well, yeah, like, a yeah, key, but like, you still have to know. Loose... just trying to tread water there, right? But but you still have to know how, how are we going to close? Is sure. it going to be Malcolm Brogdon? Is it going to be Derek White? Is it going to be small lineups? Is it going to be big lineups? Like Missoula, because of they probably have seven guys who could realistically close a playoff game. At this point, I don't include Grant Williams in that even though we've seen him close a bunch of games before. Um, oh, he's in the first round of the playoffs. He's going to have a game where he hits like six threes in the first half or something. And we're all going to be back in. That, well, that's it, what I'm waiting on. It really all depends on Robert Williams. Cause if you have Robert Williams and you have the amount of guard depth, the Celtics have you like, if you want to close big, you have two guys who can like Horford and, time lord who you can run out there if you don't have robert williams and you need a matchup that needs to go to a bigger lineup you're going to brant williams who's not been reliable or you're like blake griffin get in there and take a charge mike muscala go in there and just like shoot or luke cornett go in there and dominate and so it's like <laughs> it's like if robert will like robert williams being healthy and effective robert williams feels like it's very very key because Joe Mazzullo feels like he has not set, there's like no set rotation and there's no, like, it feels very matchup dependent on what lineups he's going to close with. But if you want to close big and you want to have a double big option, you need to have Robert Williams out there because all of the backup bigs beyond Al Horford have just not proven to be reliable. And with this team, I think there's going to be a lot of situations where it's like, they're going to close small. They are going to have Derek white in the lineup or they're going to play a single big, but Missoula seems very willing to like play different guys based on the matchup. But they just don't have the the depth behind Al Horford and, and Robert Williams to kind of adjust to that matchup. And just like, and I don't think there's small lineups. Like we've seen them play small lineups and just get absolutely destroyed on the offensive glass. 
and, and like that's been a, a major issue for them. And I just don't know what the how you kind of counter that with, with but, the, but, without Robert oh, Williams. You say that, and they have had like some crunch time defensive rebounding faux pas. Um, but also they've been playing small most of the season. And I believe they rank in the top two or three for a while. They were number one in defensive rebound rate. So it's oh, like I'm just how- doing complete recency bias based on one of the last like four games. Yeah, they actually rank first in defensive rebound rate. So That's better than second. Yeah. So I don't know how big an issue that has been. Um, and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have both done a great job in that category. But, but I think another advantage, like them going small, I just think is a worse defensive team. And so for sure, for and they, sure. like they just when they play smaller, they let guys get into the paint. And I'm just thinking back to multiple games. You can't do Knicks, that against like yeah. Jalen Brunson and, and Julius Randle could just get into the paint with ease and beat guys off the dribble. And without having that kind of security blanket of Robert Williams, the only way they like had to stop him was doubling and then you're like, yeah, you live with the Grimes shot or the RJ Barrett open three, but I just don't think like against good teams in the playoffs, you're going to be able to kind of do that. Like, luckily it's, it's crazy that they're fourth in defensive rating. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense from the basketball I've watched. This team feels miles and miles and miles and miles worse than it was last season. And last year, to be fair, like, they were not just number one. They were much, much better, especially over the second half of the season than anyone else. Like, they just clamped down. And it, it especially when Al Horford and Robert Williams were on the court. And those two guys haven't been able to share the court much this season. Um, but especially when those two guys were on the court, it was like nobody could score. Didn't matter who, who it was. Like nobody could score in the half court against those guys. The only way teams scored really was like when the Celtics offense bled into their defense. Um, and it just hasn't felt it just hasn't felt like they have that level of fastball this season. And again, like Robert Williams could come back and change that. Um, the numbers with him and Horford this season have been amazing, just like they were last year. Like that has been as expected um but they just haven't played much together so maybe they do have that level to reach but a lot of their playoff success is going to be dictated by whether they do because i don't think the offense was smoke and mirrors in the the first 30 games but also this is not like an elite offensive team they're gonna have to be an elite defensive team that's that's the like the the thing that's like last year they won games based on their defense and their half court offense was not great they turned the ball over their defense is clearly not as good as it was last year but i do think their offensive and uh and just general offensive execution is much better this year than it was last year and they're the only team in the league with a top five offense and a top five defense like that does account for something i think they're i i guess if you're saying they're a more balanced team in that way. They're certainly less dominant than they were last year. And so it's like, can they scrape by on having two above average units instead of having just like one dominant unit and, you know, hoping Jalen Brown doesn't dribble the basketball. Like it's a, it's a different approach heading into these playoffs where it's just like both offense and defense are pretty good. Like we need to win the games in transition. Joe Mazzulla always talks about like 
the things you need to win on the margins is like, can they do that without having the the dominating defense that they did last season? Or can the dominating defense return if Robert Williams just is, is healthy for, you know, multiple games in a row? And can he stay healthy? <laughs> like Always the question, right? That is a huge question. And probably always will be with him or may always be. I don't want to say probably always will be because we look at Joel Embiid and the the way he's been able to stay on the floor after he looked like he was going to be a Greg Oden type for the first couple of years of his career. Um, and so you never know how a guy's body will react, but this is, is it year five now? And he's never been able to stay on the court consistently. And he couldn't for the playoffs last year. So, although, I mean, he, he came back off a pretty bad injury for <laughs> those playoffs. Probably too early. Probably was, too and was early. Dragging, and was dragging his leg around and still and the team was shit up for so the other much team. better than when he was in the games he played than in the games he didn't play, even when he was absolutely hobbled. Yeah, um, let, let's get into the Derek White conversation a little bit because, Dufour, you, you, you brought it up a little bit earlier. Um, but his his overall impact and the way they've used him has been one of the points of contention you could have against Joe Missoula. Um, they, the Celtics have been awesome all season with Derek White on the court. When guys have been injured, he's proven that he can be a, a point getter or an assist getter, everything else. He sacrifices some of that when they're healthy. But they often don't close games with him. And and it's gotten to the point where he, he's played so well and they've played so well with him that that at least when they go small, it's hard to see why he's not on the court. I mean, it's about personalities, I would say, right? Because the guy you would be playing him over most often than not would be Marcus Smart. Yeah, I don't is that think a conversation? Take that well. Yeah, is that a conversation? Whereas Derek White is likely not all that loud about it. I mean, if if we want to just talk about like the re- reality, that's probably the reality. Now, you just you have the the situation where you you feel like you have to play bigger. So who are you going to play? You're probably going to wind up playing Grant Williams if you can't play Horford and and Rob Williams. You're not sitting Tatum or Brown, right? So the only other option really. Is Marcus Smart, and so you know, to me, but I, do you I have to go bigger? Choice. Like, would so you just? I think play that Marcus they don't. And I would play White Marcus together. and Derek White instead of playing Grant it, when you don't have the option to play Horford and Rob Williams. So I would just play White over over Grant Williams or whatever other big you want to run out there and make try to make the other team play you smaller and match up with you. Derek White can run pick and rolls without Horford. He can run them with Jason Tatum. I, I mean, it's just he will organize their offense. And what you lose on the defensive end, I would argue you, you gain in what you lose in size, you gain in switchability. Well, I feel like if they play that smaller lineup, they have to. You're kind of just inviting a, a, a kind of track meet where you just got to outscore the other team because that. But those guys smaller lineup have just has not proven to be good enough in terms of stopping dribble penetration and like that I'm still shocked that they're the fourth best defense in the league, but because it feels like they're just 
even with smart and white on the court too, like very strong perimeter defensive players. It just feels like they've let guys into the paint all year. And then Al Horford helps. And then it's just like kind of a, a scramble for them. And so I guess that like, Jay, I don't know if you've looked at the numbers, like what's the defensive numbers when they do go small and Al Horford is at the five, because it just feels like when they are so, consistently getting their ass kicked on the defensive end, it's like when they're uh, generally smaller. When Tatum's defensive effort is back at the level that we all expect it to be back for the playoffs, it, it, I want to know, do you, do you feel like this is the same issue? Probably no, if Tatum's not. like super locked in and he's like, no, it's not. Okay. It, it, and, it's really, all, and, it also comes down to that. It's just like, they just don't feel like they're, and it's mostly Tatum, like super jazzed about, like they don't feel the need to win 60 games this year. Right. And the numbers have been great with Smart and Derek White together so far this season. They Their offense is like just killer. Their defense has been better than it typically is. Uh, and part of that is they've played a lot of the minutes next to the other starters, Tatum, Brown, and, and Al Horford. But that's the lineup you would be closing with. <laughs> so I, I think you just have to go with Derek White at this point. Malcolm Brogdon has been very good for the Celtics off the bench, but he hasn't. Oh, he has one role is to come in and lead the second unit offense. And then there's no reason to close games with him. He's going to get you the, as many. He hasn't as had the same synergy and he doesn't compliment those guys the way White does. I feel like those guys need someone who brings energy to the court and who will bring movement and. And like white white does, yeah, white does all that stuff for them. Um, Because honestly, like sometimes Tatum can be like a laid back player. Sometimes Al Horford can be a laid back player. And I don't mean that in like a, a bad way. They're just not the highest energy guys all the time. And so having someone like, like white, who's going to be setting screens and moving around and, and, you know, contesting every shot that, an opponent takes is, is just important. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think at this point, the way Grant has played, the way Malcolm has mixed with the best players on the team when he's played with them, like white is the clear option to close when Robert Williams isn't healthy. And when Robert Williams is healthy, it might be a different conversation on some nights you go big right? and and then maybe you have to squeeze White out because Smart will be pissed if you don't. And Smart, you just I disagree. can't play him over Smart. I, I just disagree like- with you, Dave. I actually think Smart is the best organizer of their offense. Um, him and Tatum's think- like pick and roll chemistry is like the when they've actually needed a bucket in crunch time, it's just like been them two man game reading the defense. And I think like I agree with Jay that we've and it's something we've talked about. All Smart's year. fallen off lately, though. I don't know what it is. Whether it's I think he's the hurt. injury or just malaise like we've been talking about, but he certainly, well, I think he is hurt too. Game. I mean, he was, you know, he was out and then came back, right? Like I think he's playing through something, but having options is nice. And maybe it's a, a situation where they have to ride the hot hand. And if Derek white is on a heater, he just stays out there. But uh, I think you guys are right. I mean, from a personality perspective, Marcus smart is he wants to close these games. He's probably going to close the games. So you can't call a guy the heart and soul of your team and have many people refer to him as the heart and soul of the team and then bench him during like the, like it just would be, I feel like it's not going to state. They just like, couldn't, you couldn't do that without it. Like just going over so poorly in the locker room. Also Marcus smart is like, you kind of want him on the court 
to draw a bullshit offensive foul. Like you want him doing the insane Marcus Smart that, things towards the end that, of games. The foul he drew at the end of the Houston game was just outrageous. That's, uh, but that's what Marcus Smart does. Like I know it pisses other like fans off, but like I hate if it. you want some shenanigans at the end of the he, game to like to get back into the game, Marcus Smart's your guy. He drew a foul on a made free throw. Like who's ever done that before? Only Marcus Smart. You got it. It was a clutch. Trust him. It was a clutch foul drawn on a made fucking free throw. Like just an outrageous moment. Outrageous. I wonder uh, if he was holding that one in his back pocket. He's got like, everything in his back pocket. He's got all sorts of crazy got shenanigans. This, got this new. He invented a new type of flop. You know. And, and when they're in close games, especially when they're behind in close games, he just turns that stuff like all the way up. Yeah. <laughs> to, oh, he embarrasses like, soccer fans, man. Like he 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 really like, does. Like I, as a Celtics fan, I like it. He pisses off the other team's star players. Like I feel like in a thing against the series, like a, a he historically has just been in James Harden's head, and like James Harden will like mess up again, and that's like I think we can focus on that and, and close here is just like looking forward to the playoffs. We talked earlier about the, the Celtics not really fearing the 76ers. I think with good reason, I don't really fear the 76ers. I don't think the 76ers uh, beyond what three and a half guys have a very talent. Like I, I do like Jalen McDaniels. I like that. That's a good addition for the 76ers. Um, but he's Nick Friedman molded. Yeah, I mean, he was coached by one of the best assistant coaches in the league. Who? Quick tangent. I did. I just realized Nick Friedman is the uh, Charlotte Hornets uh, replay guy. I didn't know that. Um, I, I should. I'm his best friend, but I didn't know he was the Hornets replay guy. And apparently, he won uh, them a, a game against the Knicks a few weeks ago. Got a shout out all, all on television. So uh, kudos to Nick Friedman for doing that and molding Jalen McDaniels. But. Back to my original point. The Sixers are relying on PJ Tucker, a 38-year-old guy, to play like what 35 minutes a night. He's like, not just... playing in the playoffs, guys. I mean, there's well, just, he's gonna be Anthony unplayable. Melton? Yeah, it'd probably, they just it'd probably don't be Melton. A team like they're if they're gonna close with Maxi and Harden, they're just not gonna be good enough defensively to like compete in the playoffs. Like, I just don't believe in the Philadelphia 76ers. I don't want the Celtics to play the Knicks. Like, I think that's the the first round. Like, if they fall to the three seed and have to play the Knicks in the first round, I still think the Celtics win, but that's going to be an obnoxious series that goes more games than they probably should. Knicks are so tough. And we can't stop them from getting into the paint. Like, the Knicks are, like, a very annoying team to play, and I fear the Knicks more than I fear the Sixers. I, You know what? That was worth me coming on the pod <laughs> to hear you say that because I I've, have felt crazy. For thinking that that the one team that that the Celtics really don't want to face in the first round is the Knicks, because the Knicks are all about making a shot. They get I would the put paint the Heat in that conversation they can make a shot. Too. Well, nobody wants to play the Heat, but I mean specifically Boston. But nobody wants to play the Heat because of Jimmy Butler. But the Knicks, if, if the shots are falling, which you know we'll see what happens come playoff time, they're hard. They are hard to beat. They play tough the whole time. Yeah, they are. They crash the offensive and glass. everybody's tough. Like just everybody on the whole. The East is going to be a nightmare, like man. A pretty... I can't wait for the playoffs. I'm fired up. I'm literally calling it blood sport too. It is. There is not a team that is coming. They're not a team that's going to make the finals without having to really beat somebody. Like you're going to have to really beat a team that could beat you. 
Uh, and I think I think Milwaukee is better than everyone right now, but they're they're I would they say can't two, score points two in the half, and a half court. This is the problem. They're the matchups are going to make the fights, right? And anybody could lose in the East. It's crazy, and the West is just a mess. But the winners coming out of the East anyway. Whoever gets the one seed, and I'm assuming at this point it'll be Milwaukee. Is like that matchup is so different than anybody else's matchup. Like Atlanta, that should be an absolute blowout series. That should be like four or five games max. Just kick their ass, move on. What are you talking Whereas, about, Atlanta? The Wiz, man. The Wiz are going to win that playing tournament. I can feel it in my bones. Okay, well, uh, the same sentiment would They'll go. They'll have the, the privilege of getting series. swept by the Bucks in the first round. <laughs> yeah. So, like, there's a huge difference between playing the Heat, who are the current seven seed, and the Hawks, who are the current eight seed. Like, that's just a massive, massive difference. Um, it feels like the Bucks care a little more about getting the one seed. And I'm saying that purely based on me listening to other podcasts where people like Zach Lowe have talked about the whispers from the Bucks caring about like having uh, that home court advantage where it feels like the Celtics just don't. Also, the way they've played basketball over the last yeah, all the <laughs> All the winning, all the winning uh, seems to be. Uh, the, all the caring that they do, man, like the. The Kings had a great game against Milwaukee, and it did not matter. They uh, don't oh, yeah. really have many Giannis matchups had, for Giannis. Giannis had 46, like it was nothing. Middleton looked great in the second half. Yeah, Middleton, Middleton is like, I don't want to call him a huge variable because he's shown that he can at least be legit. Um are you going to be able to attack him in the biggest moments? Because I, I, I look back to the way James Harden went at him down the stretch of their game recently. And and if he can get hunted like that, then then that could change just the way they're able to defend. Because obviously their defense has been awesome this year. And like it's just tough to get any separation from those guys. And they have Brooke Lopez and Giannis just crushing you behind behind the the perimeter guys but but if Middleton can get beat and and I think based on the way he guarded Harden and the way Harden treated him that game like that that's that's a little bit of a flaw for them I think they've styles, awesome though. like again it's styles man because Philly might be the only team that has a guy that that can go and hunt Middleton like that You don't think it's Tatum true. and Brown could go at him like that? No, not like James Harden. No way. I mean, it's huh? not. It's not the same. It's not the same guy. I mean, they can go at him, but they wouldn't. It wouldn't be as effective. Yeah, if you look at Tatum's ISO numbers, like they're bad. Yeah, <laughs> that's not <laughs> yeah, really him. Like he's he's great at a lot of things, um, but ISO basketball has never been it for him. Which is weird because people think of him as like this ISO guy who who's great in that type of situation. And it just hasn't been the case. And it's got a lot of moves. He does have a lot of moves, he's got not a lot of moves. but he's got a lot of moves. Got a lot like, of moves, right? Many moves. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, uh, you know, like a really flippy indie wrestler. Got a lot of moves. Many, many moves. Jay and I know anything about uh, wrestling whatsoever. 
But oh, okay. That's why uh, we I brought mean, speak, you in. A different speak for yourself, man. Speak for yourself. Jay, tell me two uh, things about wrestling. Uh, Stone Cold was pretty fucking cool. And uh, <laughs> DX taught me to suck it. I was going to say, you grew so, up up north, cool. so you were a WWF kid, I guess. But you're also at 35. You, you missed out on really like the Hogan years. Did you, Were you a Ultimate Warrior guy? He doesn't. Little? He didn't. He's not a wrestling fan. All he did. You didn't watch basketball growing up. He has no personality outside of basketball. Th this is not no, true. I, I actually. I used to. This used man's to been wrestling. watching Yale. Play this basketball. man knows so many college basketball players who played from 2001 to 2004. It's gross. The amount of brain energy Jay has ex exhausted <laughs> on college basketball players is insane. It is sad. Like when you really think <laughs> about how many hours I've spent watching dumbass basketball games throughout my life. Yeah, but now it pays the bills, right? So it's not that sad, I guess. Yeah, I guess it's true. Worst ways to pay the bills. Doesn't now pay I'm the bills not. Now I'm not just watching games. I'm working. Yeah, but how many <laughs> times are you making reference to like the 2002 Syracuse oh, Orange? Now, Men? granted. He actually now gets to use it on the Athletic NBA show. See, that's the thing. It's like all of this knowledge is what's leading Jay to become a national figure in basketball media. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that. I'm just an idiot who, <laughs> who occasionally brings up Eric Dievendorf on a podcast. <laughs> that's exactly uh, what I was looking for. I was just waiting for you to throw out the one name. All right, that's going to wrap it up from us. Dave Dufour, thank you for joining us. Thank you for producing this podcast. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Uh, we will be back probably later in this week. I don't know. We can probably overreact to one Minnesota Timberwolves game, or we'll see if we'll wait for the back-to-back. The -back. But you'll get another pod from us this week, and we should be ramping up the pods as the season comes down to an end. Uh, and definitely will be here for every single game of the playoffs. So please rate, subscribe, do all the things podcast hosts tell you to do. And thank you for joining this episode of Anything is Potable! Jay, are you drinking a high life in a can? You are now tuned into Anything Potable. The most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause. Like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital. Like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. So send me